All right, I brought my bodyguard with me this time. That is, uh, that is my oldest daughter, Ella Grace. She decided she wanted to ride along with Dad today, and so she jumped in and came with us. So uh, so this is my last week with you guys for a while. Uh, not to say we won't be back, but for a while anyway. You're going to have much better speakers next week, so bring all your friends, right? So and here's the beauty of that statement. If you think it's good, that's all the better. It's going to be better next week, right? So, and if you think it's bad, good news, it's going to be better next week. So, either way, it's a win for everybody. So, uh, no, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate you guys letting me come up here and spend some time with you and share in these family values, share, uh, and just who God has called us to be. And I've got to be honest with you, this one is my favorite. Uh, of Of all the things we build on, and I could probably say that every week, but I really mean it in this one, right? Showing visible love. Because here's the reality. No matter what else we do, if we're not showing visible love, we're not doing what we're called to do, right? And that's the whole essence of who we are. It's, it's the essence of who Jesus has called us to be. Uh, six, eight weeks ago when I was here, just kind of did the one-off, uh, we talked about John three sixteen. You remember that? And we talked about, for God so loved the world. They, they, Jesus came, Jesus showing up on this earth, dying on the cross. That was his visible love for you and I. And so we've got to do that too. We've got to one another for other Christians, but also to people that don't know Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that, this idea that that that's why we show visible love. So we're going to start in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 22, it gets really simple. Jesus is is out teaching, he's talking, he is asked by uh, some of his followers, hey, what is, what's the best commandment? And I love that question, it's a great question, right? Because they're kind of like me. I want to go, I want to know what the bullseye is, right? I want to, what's the one thing? If I get everything else wrong, what's the one thing I should get right? That was me in school. It was, what is the one test I have to pass or the one paper I have to turn in to be able to pass this class? Right? And that's essentially what the disciples were asking. What's the one thing we've got to do to be good with you, Jesus? And he answers in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, if you've been around church a while, right, you might fall into the category that says everything from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, it's all the same, it all means the same, it's all equally important. That is not true. There are some things in Scripture that are more important. It's all important, but there are some that are more important. That's why Jesus says this is the first and the greatest commandment. It's the bullseye. You get everything else wrong, that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, all, oh, he says, and the second is like it, because, right, one's not good enough, so let's throw the second one in there. Love your neighbor. Now, this is the interactive part of our day today. Who's your neighbor? Don't point. Who's your neighbor? Everybody, right? Whether you live in different neighborhoods, different apartment complexes, doesn't matter. I'm your neighbor, you're my neighbor, uh, everybody. So in essence, what he's saying is, love God with everything you have. And when you're completely bankrupt of love, fill back up with God's love and go love your neighbor. Go love every single person you come in contact with. He says, these are the two greatest commands. And I love verse 40 because he says, all the law. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
So everything else the Bible says, everything else they had memorized, because he's talking to Jewish people that had memorized the bulk of the Old Testament, he says, everything you know hangs on those two things. So I like to put things in modern-day language, right? It's really simple. Here's what Jesus was saying. Love God, love others, and prove it. That's it. If you want to know how to please God, if you want to, hey, where am I at in my walk with Jesus? Like, am I doing good? Am I a good Christian? Right? Church attendance is not it. Right? That's good. We love seeing each other on Sundays. We love hanging out, spending time. But that's not what shows the world, Jesus. Right? Us hiding inside our four walls does not show the world that we love Jesus and that he loves us. Love God, love others, and prove it by going. Prove it by going out and showing visible love to each other. If you think Jesus was the only one that thought this, look at the letters that were written, right? Galatians 5, 5 and verse 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, right? He's reminding them of the Ten Commandments. Whatever other commandment there may be are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You take the Ten Commandments, the first four are all about God and how we love God. The last six are all about how we love each other. See, from the beginning of time, from the moment God molded the earth with his hands and breathed life into it, the plan was simple. Love God and love others, right? It's what we've always been called to do. So why do we do this? What's the big deal? Why is this a core value of who we are as Christians? Well, here's the first point. We love an invisible God, right? If we're going to love God, love others, prove it. We love God who we can't see by loving our neighbor that we can see. We love an invisible God by loving a visible neighbor, right? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. We don't earn it, we can't do enough, right? We don't love others, we don't love our neighbor to earn God's love. We've already received God's love. We've already received the gift of salvation, So it's a gift from God, verse 9, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? Because listen, you do something good, you like people to know about it, don't you? I mean, we all do. I like, listen, I bring a cheering section with me because I like somebody to know I did a good job, right? Amen, right? So we all like to be told, we all like to be recognized, but God says, listen, you don't love your neighbor To earn God's love, you love your neighbor because you're already loved by God. So you don't get to boast. You didn't do anything. But we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You were made for it. The whole purpose that God formed you inside your mother's belly, right, and breathed life into you and brought you into this big blue planet was so that you could love other people, so that you could go and do good things because you are God's handiwork. You are made in his image. And so we love God, we celebrate God, we bring glory to God by how we act like God to other people, by loving the people we can see, by loving the people we can interact with. But then there's a second side of this, right? If we love an invisible God by loving a visible neighbor, then we show visible love 
so that people can experience an invisible God. Right? See, we're the, we're the bridge. We know God if we're Christians. If you've received Christ, if you've been baptized, you know God. So you show other people by how you love. And the more you love and the more you do, the more they are able to see Christ living in you. It's a really cool spot to be in. It's kind of like getting to be a preacher, right? I get to read my Bible. I get to study. I get to have a relationship with God. I get to learn and discern and figure out what Scripture's trying to say. And then I get to share it with other people. And if I do a good job, it's not because I did a good job. It's because it's a good word, right? And that's your role. You get to show other people God. You get to show other people who Christ is by how you love them. Love God love others, and you prove it. Book of Mark. Mark, the, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tell all about the story of Jesus. Uh, I use Mark 1 in, in a class I taught this morning, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Right? Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. It's a cool story. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, right? So he had been there, he had healed a bunch of people, then he left, went and preached, and then came back. So he's Again, come back to Capernaum. The people heard he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. He preached the word to them. Some of the men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him inside to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus, look at this line, saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen, we're in church, right? So we read a story like that in church. We say, oh yeah, of course that's what happened. Listen, how mad would you be if somebody scratched a hole in your roof? Right? What if we're up here right now and Jesus is up here preaching instead of me and somebody starts barreling through the new roof you guys got last year? How mad are we going to be? Pretty mad, right? But that's what happened. Like, there's so many people listening. Now, listen, we've got a little ways to go to get the so many people listening thing, right? You've got to invite some neighbors because we've got some empty chairs. But we get it full, and people can't get in, and they're cutting a hole in the roof so that their friend can get in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw the faith of who? He saw the friend's faith. When he saw how the friends loved their neighbor. They love their neighbor in a visible, tangible, get-your-hands-dirty kind of way, and it helped their friend get in front of Jesus. And because they got their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus forgave his sins. See, that's what we're called to do. What links are we willing to go to? But look at how the story goes on. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there, and so those religious folks you've got to worry about, right? You've got to worry about the religious folks. And they were thinking to themselves, don't miss that part, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. In other words, he's lying. He's talking about things he shouldn't be talking about. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is what I love about Jesus. This is where he cheats a little bit, right? Because he's God and he knows, so he reads their mind. They're just thinking this stuff, but immediately he knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, it's kind of like when mom catches you doing something, right? You don't tell her you were doing it, but moms just know, and they, they give you that look, and you know you're in trouble before anything's ever said, Jesus just knew. And so he says to him, why are you thinking about these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's talking about Jesus, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive 
sins. So he said to the man, I'll tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. He showed visible love. Right? You're called to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You are never called to have a private relationship with Jesus. The way you live, the way you're married, the way you raise your kids, the way you go to work, the way you interact in line, the way you handle yourself at QT, the way you walk down the street, the way you are a neighbor in your apartment complex, people should be able to look at your life and say, that person knows Jesus. Have a private, you have a personal relationship, but not a private one. Out in full, full view, they saw the love Jesus had for this man, and this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like it. That's it. That's who we're called to be. That's how we prove it. Are you living in such a way? Are you loving your neighbor, your black neighbor, your white neighbor, your brown neighbor? Are you loving the people that are different than you, that think different than you, that act different, that have different political views or don't have any political views, the people that have money or don't have money, the people that, right? Your neighbor. You guys told me neighbor meant everybody. So are you loving everybody in a way that causes people to stop and say, oh, let's praise God because of that. See, it's not about glory for us. It's not about people patting us on the back. It's about giving glory to God. That This amazed everyone when they saw Jesus love this man, when they saw these four friends love this man so much that they were willing to go to whatever lengths to get their hands dirty, to get their friend in front of Jesus and see what God could do in their life. It amazed everyone, and they praised God. They praised God and said, we've never seen anything like this. You know what would be really cool? If this time next year, when you guys invite me back, maybe you'll invite me before then, but this time next year, when you invite me back, if this place is full, and there's people hanging around outside, and they're saying, we want in, because what happens in there? Praise God. We've never seen anything like this. But you know, there's only one way that works. It's not Ron doing more. It's not Jonathan doing more. It's not anybody doing anything more. It's every single one of us showing love. It's every single one of us making a bold move. Having that kingdom mentality where we're always thinking souls. It's every single one of us going out and finding ways that we can love God in every aspect of our life. And we love our neighbors as good as we love ourselves. Maybe even a little bit better. And that's how we show the gospel. That's how we change lives. But you know what? You're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to tear some stuff up. Right? You're going to have to get messy. You're going to have to get in there and make a difference. So, all my time with you. Here's how I sum it up. Right? Sum it up in one line. Never settle for a version of the gospel that doesn't move you to love somebody that's different than you, right? If you're just loving the people like you, you're only halfway there. Don't settle for a version of Jesus that doesn't force you to love people that are different than you. That's what we're all about. That's why we come together. That's why we say family, 
right? Because when we give our life to God, when we surrender our life to Christ, we enter into a relationship with Him, and we don't have a choice anymore. See, here's the good news. If you're not a Christian today, this is just some good advice, and you can take it or leave it. But if you are a Christian, if you've been baptized, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you don't have a choice. This is the first. This is the greatest command. If you get everything else wrong in your life, but you get this one right, guess what? You please God. So go and love God with everything you have. Everything you have, everything you are, everything He has built and wired you together with. And love everybody you come in contact with. And prove. Show them. I don't believe there's a God out there. Well, you make them believe. Not by having the most scripture memorized, not by knowing the most information, but by how you treat other people. By how you love the unlovable. Because here's the beauty. You know what? God doesn't love us because we're special. Did you know that? As special as you are, God doesn't love you because you're special. God doesn't love you because you've earned it. God loves you because scripture tells us God is love. And so if I'm going to reflect him, if I'm going to show him to the world, I've got to be loved too. I've got to be loved when it's hard. I've got to be loved when we disagree. I've got to be loved when you look different and talk different and think different. And listen, if you don't think the world is weird, just look around a little bit. And if you still don't think the world is weird, it's because you're the weird one, okay? So love anyway. Love, love, love. I told you this is my favorite one right here. Right, we can talk about any of them. We can talk about trusting God's promises, talk about unity, talk about faith, talk about kingdom. But in the kingdom, when we get there at the very end, all people, of all tribes, of all nations, of all tongues, all skin colors, all backgrounds, all loving one another and glorifying God. So can I tell you how good you guys are at making people feel loved? Now, don't just do it inside these walls. Go out and prove to the world that you're different because you have a God that loves you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Um, God, I, I don't get to do what I do without the blessing of your son and the love and the mercy. And these folks in this room, God, the commitment they made just by showing up today. And for some, I'm sure it was a struggle and a challenge. God, for others, they, they wouldn't be anywhere else. But God, whatever brings anybody here today, God, open their hearts to you. And God, if there's folks in the room who have never received you, never surrendered their life to you, uh, God, who's never entered into the waters of baptism, God, would you, would you move in their hearts? Would you challenge them? Would you, don't let them sleep. Don't let them enjoy lunch. Don't let them do anything until they talk to somebody about becoming a Christian. But God, for those of us who have received you, who have the blessing of knowing you as our Lord and our Savior, God, would you convict our hearts and not let us be who we just want to be, not let us fall into habits and comfort, but God, would you help us to be so in love with you that we love our neighbor in ways that make the world say, praise God. God, whatever we do, let it be for your glory, for the world's good, and for our joy. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen.